What's up, everybody? I'm Dr. Peter Bolden. And I'm Dr. Craig Spodek, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. Simply the best podcast in dentistry designed to help you maximize your practice and your life through four pillars of success. Leadership, team culture, marketing, and financial freedom, and everything in between. Now, let's get to it. Welcome, everybody, to the first video episode of the Bulletproof Dental Practice podcast. I got so inspired by, uh, I'm about to introduce you, Mark, but I got so inspired by one of the guests that we had on recently who, his name is Patrick Bet David, and he's a big timer. He's an entrepreneur, like big time guy on YouTube, has like a million and a half subscribers. And, I, and in following him, I looked at like, I was like, that's how you should do interviews. And that's how you should do podcasts. It's like this video and he's you know, sitting there with Kobe Bryant. He's sitting there with all these cool people. I'm like, that's what I want to do. So given that you and I live in Atlanta, given that you and I are friends, I'm sitting here with my buddy, Mark Hodelik in Atlanta, and I'm about to introduce him. But I wanted to take advantage of being your awesome, amazing house, being the fact that you're in town, take advantage of my uh, amazing videographer, Bo, and, uh, and get some cool content for the Bulletproof dental practice YouTube page because it's been a little anemic and I'm getting tired of the Zoom. I'm getting tired of the Zoom, uh, the Zoom videos we put out all the time where it's like all of a sudden faces change and then, you know, you, you know, the whole yeah, thing. So anyway, buddy, thanks for making the first inaugural uh, video podcast we've done. This yeah. will be, I encourage you if you're listening to this on, in your car right now, get on YouTube and watch it because it's going to be spectacular. Maybe watch it when you're not driving. Well, I mean, just make sure you mount it up like in your right. field of vision, right? That's right. Um, so, Mark, thanks, buddy. Thanks for agreeing to do it. Uh, we, uh, you can see, we've got the nice setup. We're going to go into this later, but the uh, this is going to play a role in in our in our in our discussion. Mark, I want to kind of just introduce you're the CEO and and business partner. Uh, you're the CEO of, of Build Your Life Resume, right? Correct. Your business partner with Jesse Itzler, who wrote the the author of the Living with a Living with a Seal and Living with Monks. That's correct. So a lot of I know a lot of my colleagues. I know a lot of my friends have read that book and love it. Um, your father, two boys. You're an ultra marathoner, endurance athlete, um, and your most recent thing that you've really been spending a lot of time on is this event called Twenty Nine or Twenty Nine which our mastermind is committed in full force to do, which I want to unpack that because I think a lot of, a lot of the people that listen to this podcast, it, would, it will really resonate with them. The message will really resonate with them as it did you know, with our group. Um, I've got a lot to unpack here. So give a, a little context of you know, who you are and you know, a little background of, of who you are, who you are kind of thing. Yeah, thank you. So I did a I did a podcast yesterday, not near this fun, <laughs> and and it was not on video. It was a Zoom Zoom podcast. See, like, they all are. I like I like the direction you're taking. Yeah, you're, you're certainly going up. Setting my game up a little. Yeah, bit. I mean I'm not LeBron James, so you can only go up from here. <laughs> well, it was, it was was yeah, that's right. Oh, it's Kobe. It's Kobe. It's Kobe. That's right. So you can only go up from here. But I got asked to describe with two words, I am, and then to follow that up, what it is, and and it really put me on the spot. And I started thinking about it. And at first, I identified, identified myself as a father. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just because growing up, my dad, and I'm still very close with my father, but it was seeing the way he interacted with my sister and I, and seeing how much he enjoyed being a father. I think the first thing that I really wanted it to be when I grew up was a great father and dad. 
And I think with that comes, you know, showing your kids and putting out a great example for them and, and trying to do your best in things. So I wasn't ultra, always an ultra marathoner. I never ran a marathon until two years ago. And, you know, I think that was to show my kids that, that I could do hard things. And I used to be a runner in college. And so I first identified myself as, you know, a dad and a husband. For those of us who don't know, what's an ultra marathon? But it's anything over 26 miles. Mm. So typically the, the, the first distance over that, that's a common distance is a 50 K, mm. which is 31 miles. That's kind of the most common distance. And I've kind of gone a little bit further yeah. than that. Uh, I've done a couple 100 mile runs in the last, a little over the last year. So that's kind of been an area that I'm playing with and starting to, to find a lot of fulfillment in doing. That's crazy. So you identify yourself first as a father. Um, but isn't it cool how, you know, but you ran in, in college, you actually ran, you were a track, you know, you had a lot of records in track and you, you went to Auburn, right? Sure. Yeah. So obviously that is then morphed. I mean, I don't think anything happens by mistake is where I'm going. And so this is kind of morphed into, you know, maybe because of meeting Jesse, it's morphed into a cool business model that you can really just get behind because it, it fills the buckets of your, of your life. Yeah, I mean, running and, and athletics and taking care of myself and challenging myself and something I've been doing since I was very young. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't this linear path where I graduated college and was like, oh, I'm going to go and create endurance events so people can have the same right. experience that I've had running. It was I moved up to New York and sold payroll door to door for ADP. And that was, you know, 2003. It was a tough time to get a job in financial services. And I was a finance and accounting major. And it was like, well, I got to do something to make income. Well, I looked for a good job and ended up getting a job as a management consultant and always had this creativity off to the side, wanted to be doing something and, and started creating challenges and events for my friends. But I wasn't running to compete anymore. I wasn't actually doing those things. I think in the last couple of years, I've been so grateful that that base of discipline and challenging myself that I kind of had throughout adolescence and high school and college, mm-hmm. I've kind of found again because that was missing from 22 to 37. I wasn't going out and doing hard challenges and things like that. In the last couple of years, I found so much fulfillment by kind of, you know, finding that, that as Jesse would say, that bucket of my life, you know, we all have these different buckets and that kind of adventure challenge bucket has been something that I've really been focusing on. And that's actually turned into a business with Jesse. Mm-hmm. And, and I think those two kind of dovetailing together has brought me so much gratitude and joy because I'm not only getting that fulfillment myself from those benefits of doing this challenge, but I'm actually being able to provide it to others. And that's, that's really what's been most fulfilling. So the, the build your life resume, the business of that, right? You guys, you and Jesse provide, you know, the 29029 is just a new offshoot of that, correct? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't really the way we scripted it up again. I think that none of this has really gone according to plan, but that, Jesse's personal brand is almost build your life resume. Right. And, and a lot of what Jesse talks about is what's super inspiring, what he lives. He's very authentic is, you know, having a life full of experiences. Mm-hmm. And then when you look back and you're 80, you look back on the things that you did, it's not going to be how much money you made. It's not going to be the car that you drove or the house that you lived in. You're going to remember those, those really indelible memories of what's going to mark what happened in 2007. What's going to mark what happened in 2015. And, and those things could be a trip with your family it could be some camping trip gone wrong. It doesn't, they don't have to be expensive experiences, but it could be your first Ironman. It could be your first marathon. It could be some big fundraising event that you did. And that we decided that what was really missing was that a lot of online courses, a lot of things continuing education were focusing on, you know, how to get Instagram followers, how to improve profitability in your business, how to improve your sales techniques. Nothing was focusing on 
how do you actually focus on building a life, building a life resume? Mm -hmm. And we had also, at that same time that we were working on that, we we created this concept called 29029, which is 29,029 feet, which is the height of Mount Everest. And our idea was that an experience that we wanted to create for people was this this unbelievable challenge. And it's, it's really hard. There, there are harder challenges in the world, but it's hard to think of a larger challenge than climbing the world's highest mountain in the world. And our idea was that that's not attainable for most people. It's years of training. <laughs> for this guy. Yeah, or me either. Uh, and and it's, it's maybe eighty to $90,000. It's a trip to Nepal. It's six to eight weeks. You, you might start stacking. Die. Yeah, you, good chance you die. You start stacking, <laughs> stacking all those variables. And, and we thought, well, what if we had an ever-sized challenge? But something that was as big as running 100 miles took as long as running 100 miles. So it was actually much more attainable and approachable to people. And the idea was, well, we'll rent a ski resort. Mm -hmm. We'll build in. We'll build our own base camp like you're a base camp of Everest, but we'll do it in the luxury glamping tents. And we'll give people 36 hours to hike up this mountain and take a gondola down and repeat until they've climbed the vertical height of Mount Everest. So every time you go up the mountain, you're gaining 1,700, 1,500, 2,000 vertical feet. And, you know, if you're gaining 2,000 vertical feet, we need to do it 14 and a half times before you get to the height of Everest. And what we found is that that's not only attainable, but it's, it's very doable if you're willing to put in the time. And if you're willing to be committed to a goal, you get the benefit of, you know, very akin to what it's like to experience Everest. We've had people who have climbed Everest who come and do our event. That's great. And they find equal satisfaction in a much different way. I'm not saying this is near as hard or that you're going to walk away feeling the exact same thing as being on top of the world. But for a lot of people, this is as close as they're going to come to something like that. And they get, they get a lot of those same benefits. You know, hearing you talk about it when we were at a, a you know, mastermind retreat, you know, we all committed to do it because it was super inspiring. And I think just you giving some context of, yes, it's a physical event, but the ramifications of what it, have you seen it do to people personally, you know, it's, sure. it's symbolism. It's just one more step. And I think in, as dentists, you know, we go through periods where there's, you know, where there's highs and lows, just like all of us. But in dentistry, we get a little bit more myopic about our, our environment because we're in the same spot. We're dealing with this, you know, small mouth, having people say, oh, I hate coming here. And, and sometimes just, you know, it's not doom and gloom all the time. I think that the, the, what resonated with me when you're saying is, look, leaning in, taking one more step to getting to your goal because because sometimes the difference between a success and a failure is just saying, I'm just going to do one more of these. Right. Right. And, and honestly, I'm, I'm scared shitless to, to do 29, 29 next, what is it? October. Next October. Yeah. In Vermont. But I'm also excited because like, it's been a while since I've really challenged myself and been scared about doing something physical and like, cause it's mentally challenging as well as physically challenging. Sure. Right. Um, but it'd be cool that, you know, a lot of my friends will be there and, and, uh, so I'm definitely going to encourage that the people listening, if, if that's something you want to look into, check it out because the story, like you're I'm looking at you and your wife, even your wife doing it and you kind of like, I'm reading her stories and it's like, tell some more, tell, tell some stories about this. Like I want to hear about the branding that goes on in every lap and yeah, so tell the, everyone what kind the, of what it is. The idea, thanks for setting up. The idea behind this was that having done a handful of endurance events <clears throat> starting in you know 2016 and 2017 with Jesse and I were launching this in 2017. I had one very clear mission, which I wanted to be the best endurance weekend on the planet. Not a event, but a weekend. And we set a very lofty goal that we would never compromise anything about the experience for profit. Mm -hmm. It would always be focused on the best participant experience possible. And what I found was that when I did, you know, a large endurance event, whether it was running 100 miles or doing an Ironman, 
you finish and you go your separate ways. So that, you know, 2000 people do an Ironman, but you don't celebrate together at the end of the race. You all Mm -hmm. go your separate ways with your families and that the idea behind 29 or 29 was that you're taking on something together as part of a community and that it's not a race. So there's no age group awards. It's you you self-score it. So every time you go up the mountain, you take our brand, you take cattle brands, branding irons, and you burn into a wooden board your laps. So it's Stratton Mountain, 17 laps up the mountain. And so you're doing your own counting all the way up the board until you get to 17. Mm. And that thoughtfulness and that approach was there because each lap could take you an hour and a half. And that's an effort. But rather than having it electronically timed and scored, you actually getting to see your hard work, you getting to burn it into the board, you get to smell the wood burning. Those types of things were things that I was very thoughtful about in doing this because I wanted each lap to really matter. And, and, you know, we have plenty of people that do 10 climbs or 10. They don't get all the way to 17. Right. But they're going to want to quit at nine and maybe they get to 12. And those are some of the most inspiring stories because they know they're going to time out. They know they don't have the ability the physical ability, maybe the mental stamina, maybe they're having some physical issue, whatever it may be, they're not going to get to 17, but they choose to continue to climb. And that's really where we see the breakthroughs happen, where someone is, is as you talked about, you know, I can't relate to being a dentist, right. but I can relate to having my own business. I can relate to putting a big goal out there and feeling like it's insurmountable to get there. You have more bad days, a lot of days, and you have good days. Mm-hmm. And the, the thing that's beautiful about 29 and 29 is that it takes all of those things that you face in your daily life and it gives you an opportunity to see that a big goal of 29,000 and 29 feet, it sounds such a cliche, mm-hmm. but you have to take the first step. And for us, one of our big, big things that we say is you have to turn right. When you take the gondola down, the mountain, you have to turn right to go back up the mountain. And once you turn right and make your first steps towards the mountain, no one takes a couple steps up and starts walking back down the mountain. You have to start each lap. Mm-hmm. And so there's a huge mental test of whether it's seeing the next patient, whether it's returning a call you don't want to return, whether it's, you know, anything related to the business that doesn't seem fun. You have to understand that if you stay in the game long enough, you'll get to reap the rewards. And so the beautiful thing about an endurance event that is long as 29 or 29 is, is that the highest of highs won't last forever and neither will the lowest of lows. And so when you reach a really low place, you just have to keep hiking long enough to where you're going to feel good again. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a metaphor. great metaphor yeah. for life. Of if you're in a rough spot with your wife, if you're not having a great relationship with your kids or your practice isn't doing as, as well as you want, that doesn't mean you give up. Because when you give up, you know what's going to happen. You know the regret you're going to have. Totally. You, know, you know what happens when you quit. And the beautiful thing about an event like 29 or 29 is you don't know what happens if you keep going. And, and that to me gets exciting. If you just keep taking it one lap at a time, one step at a time, suddenly that board starts filling up and you start looking at all the other brands and then you start to feel proud of yourself and you're proud that you didn't quit earlier. Yeah. And then that momentum starts to feed on itself. And Jesse always says, you know, you ride the momentum and, and, and an event like 29 or 29 shows you how that kind of positive energy and momentum in an event like that, you can then bring home and be a better father, a better wife, a better business partner, a better dentist. And, and I truly believe that because you build up that kind of mental toughness on the mountain and it can apply it in your daily life. And you've life. probably seen, obviously you've gotten context because you've run this, but you've seen the transformations that have happened. You know, obviously people get emotional when they either finish when they didn't think they could, or maybe the other way around, they, that they thought they could and they couldn't. 
right? So you, but you've also probably seen the transformations of the life lessons that doing something physical is sometimes transformative in the, in the way we live. Just yeah. like you said, going home, being a different father, husband, wife, whatever it may be, you're different because you are because of the because of the physicality and the, and the mental. You kind I, of I got a, I got a DM the other day that was not nice saying how ridiculous it was. This was from a troll. This wasn't from one of our participants or family members or spectator of the event that we refer to the event as life changing. But I've seen people's lives change <laughs> right in front of my eyes. I've seen yes. people quit on themselves 12 hours in and somehow find a way to do another climb and finish. And to see someone quit, give up, cry, and talk about how disappointed they are, and you just give them say, hey, I'm gonna stand at the top of the mountain, in an hour and a half, I'm gonna be standing here, don't let me down, I'm waiting on you. And to see someone actually decide after they've quit to wipe off the tears, these are grown men and women, wipe off the tears and make one more lap and then say, that changed everything. To know that you cared, to know that you were waiting on me, let me know. And that's, that's what I want for people. I want people to have that growth. And, and some of the stories that we've seen uh, are people, they're not endurance athletes. 80% of our participants have never even run a marathon. So you're going to be in good company. I mean, maybe you've run a marathon. I've never asked you that. Maybe you have. But I can run like a 5K. Yeah. <laughs> but you're going to be in good company because most people there are facing an unknown. And, and that excites me that people are taking on something where they don't know what the outcome is going to be. And that newness and that freshness, I think reinvigorates you because you have to figure out a new way to tackle the problem, what shoes you're going to wear, how you're going to train for it. And look, we give you training plans. We give you coaching calls. We give you packing lists. We give you, it's turnkey. You have everything you need, but you still need to try all that out for yourself. And then you don't know how the weekend is going to unfold. And that to me is, is really exciting. You know, and I think it's, I think it's healthy too. I actually have a, I, I do some consulting for some uh, dentists and I had a call this morning and literally one of the lines was, so, so this guy, the younger dentist, super entrepreneurial, but he's in a predicament where he wants to buy in to his existing practice that he's in, but he also wants to expand. And, and he's kind of stuck in almost being committed to both because he was trying to do. And I was talking about, I was like, look, you sound scared. And he's like, yeah, I am. Yeah. And, I, and he thought I was kind of leaning into him. Like, you know, I said, dude, use this. This is a yeah. great motivator. I was like, there's, cause there's going to be few and far, you know, these times get less and less, like use this energy up here. It is, it is one of the most powerful motivators in the world. And, and double down on that because, um, because you have the chops to get out of this. You have the hustle, you have the chops, you have the means, you have the brain power to get out of this. And so I am coming this back to 29 or 29 is that like, I'm scared. Yeah. But, but in my, in my adult life, you know, I've been scared with certain things, but it's, it's a rarity that you put yourself um, voluntarily in sure. fearful situations anymore. So it's cool that you commit to something, you know, in our group, you know, kind of made a verbal commitment, right? An accountability commitment. Sure. And then, and then, but being scared about it and saying, oh shit, now, now I've got to do this, but I'm kind of using yeah. fear to motivate me to take that step. And so when I get there and I know that I'm going to be a, I know I'm going to do really well because I'm, I'm using all of this passive energy of fear to make sure that I'm prepared for the and, journey. And, and the fear shows you care, right? You care about the outcome and, and that's great advice. You know, you said, you said kind of lean into it and, and what's written on this wristband says lean in, lean in. right? And that, that's been a thing for me since I was you know running in high school was the third lap of the mile. I was a miler was the lap where 
it starts to really hurt. The first two laps are free. The third lap, <laughs> the third lap hurts, and the fourth lap you finish, right? And and the third lap was where I decided to make my move. And and my dad would tell me like lean in, like lean into that third lap. And there are, there have been periods in my life where I haven't, mm. and you kind of coast and you get comfortable. And there's been a, a clear shift since I partnered with Jesse of kind of leaning in and challenging myself. This group has challenged me a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's a lot of other goals that I'm putting out there that I wouldn't have two years ago. And, and I hope others that do 29 or 29 or pick their own event, whatever they are, that these endurance events are a great forum to show that what you think is hard really isn't that hard mm-hmm. and that you're tougher than you think you are. You're more committed, but that fear shows that you care. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important that is coming from a healthy place. It's going to lead you to an even better place. And I think being like, you know, this podcast is we don't talk about dentistry per se. It's a business of dentistry and marketing and such. And I think when you, when you can be okay, when you can be comfortable being uncomfortable, right. Right. Like, and being okay with the fact that like, yeah, this journey is going to be a little bumpy, but it's going to be full of growth, right? Whether that's, right. you know, and the big thing in dentistry is you, you hear about people wanting multiple practices or wanting to grow their practice, um, which is daunting and scary because it's the fear of the unknown. Never been there. It's the mountain that we've never climbed right. metaphorically speaking. Right. right? that right and so yeah, others have done it but like can can we do it we don't know right um so it is just cool to draw these you know i think i think there's so many parallels and you know what you do versus you know and what you've experienced in 29 or 29 versus even dental journeys right there's 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 analogies anyway in which way we spin it at the end of this year we'll be entering in the year 2020 2020, everyone associates with perfect vision. Wouldn't it be cool to start your year off with perfect vision and clarity for your practice's trajectory? Heck, even other aspects of your life? We are doing the summit early in the year for this very purpose. As practice owners ourselves, we are bringing tips and processes that helped grow our practices to scale. Learn from people who have done it, not just preach about it. So join us in Houston at the St. Regis, February 28th and 29th, We've negotiated amazing nightly room charges at $179. Even if you've been to a summit of ours before, do not miss this one. We're going to be focusing on digital marketing, including social media. Hope to see you there. Tell me a little bit about like kind of one of the, since you are a business owner, tell me one of the, like the hardest business situations you've been in where you've had to lean in and change uh, it. It, it, very timely asked it was last Thursday. No shit. Okay. So uh, you stay in these luxury glamping tents. Mm. And they're tents at the end of the day. They're nice canvas tents like you'd see on an African. So summer. last Thursday was the event. Last so, Thursday, sorry. Yeah, last yep. Thursday we, we had our second event of the year in Vermont. Okay. And, you know, I arrive on Tuesday. My team arrived on Sunday. But all the tents are getting set up. And you sleep you know, on a mattress with a comforter and there's a heater in your tent and it's as comfortable and as nice as you're going to get for a tent. Mm-hmm. And there was a nor'easter that was being predicted and it was coming through. A what? And a nor'easter. So, oh, that's, yeah, yeah, that's, so that's, that's basically when a couple systems come together. Like a blizzard. Low pressure. Yeah, it's, it's not good. Let's just say that, right? It's like a hurricane over land, really. Okay. And they're starting to say, oh, the winds could get up to 50 and the tents are rated to 70 miles an hour. They start saying, oh, the winds could get to 60 and 70 and participants didn't arrive until last Thursday. And this is all happening on Wednesday. And so we've got the whole tent village set up with all the swag laid out in people's tent and name cards and handwritten welcome notes. And it's, it's, we're done. We're wow. set up. 
And overnight, between 11 and 4, the winds blow up to 95 miles an hour. So I wake up to basically fire festival Thursday morning. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the one thing that I've always said is that there's you can't put a price on your reputation. Yeah. And so I had a business previous to this. I had two businesses previous to this. One went really well and, and, and had some financial success, and, and one didn't. Mm-hmm. And the one that didn't, when I shut it down... I, it was a, it was an events business and, uh, rather than just shut it down and walk away from an LLC, the, the second toughest business decision I've ever had to make was a conversation with my wife and say, Hey, we're going to cancel the last four events. And even though we've lost money, we're going to personally as a couple refund everyone's money in full because I can't buy back my reputation. And even though it's a $40 ticket to do a beer and running event, that times 5,000 people gets expensive. Yep. And, and yet that forty dollars to that person means a lot, and they can't go and bash me, even though they still did. Right? Yeah. Even though I gave them their money back, they still wanted the experience. But that was a very tough decision that's paid dividends over that because I wasn't the guy that hid behind an LLC. I was a guy that said, "Hey, this business didn't work, and I'm going to refund you all of your money because we're not coming to your city." Mm-hmm. And and I use it as an example because I was faced with this really tough decision of we can probably make the tents okay. Some of the tents got wet. We can replace those. We can replace bedding. But I don't know if the structural integrity of any of these tents was compromised. And if one of these tents were to fall because it was still going to be windy, I could never live with that. And it wouldn't really hurt someone. It's canvas, but it would ruin their experience. It would have them question if this is the best experience. And so as a backup, we always put a very large block of hotel rooms through the resort. And so I had a plan B, and I've been thoughtful enough to think about that for years. But I told our team within like a 30-minute decision – before everyone arrives today, we're moving everyone to hotels, the entire operation, and it's going to be at our own expense. And it was it was a hard decision, but once I made the decision, I felt so confident in it, knowing it was the right one. Mm-hmm. And then it was just addressing 250 people who were expecting to stay in a tent and just being honest with them and saying, hey, look, no excuse. 90 mile an hour winds came through last night. I don't feel comfortable with you staying there. And, and we've we've decided out of our own pockets that we're going to put you up in a hotel so you're all comfortable. And it was a very hard decision because there's profitability. There's, are we going to be able to get it done as a staff? Are people going to have the same experience? But it went back to what's our mission for people and, and what's the vision for how we want this experience to play out. And it was that we wanted it to be the opposite. We, we, we want it to be the opposite of Fire Festival. We want this to be something where no matter what your expectations are, we exceed them. Right. And I think showing that we were willing to do that for customers has been the best thing that's ever happened in this business because we show we were not willing to compromise for profit or for ease or for operational ease. When, when, quite frankly, 85 to probably 90% of the tents were probably fine. I just wasn't willing to risk that. And if five people were going to have a bad experience, I wasn't willing to have that. I wanted everyone to have the same experience. So. That was very timely, but it was it was a week ago, and it gave me a lot of confidence in just knowing you always do what's right by what you set up for yourself and saying, look, this is what's important to us. These are the values that we're going to go by. It was very easy for my staff and all of the contractors and all the volunteers and kind of the unsung heroes to say, yeah, we're going to get on board with that. You know, it's, we're going to go with that. Do you feel a trait of a powerful leader is the speed of decisions that they make a hundred percent and, and not going back on that. If you make a mistake, admit that it was wrong. I make many mistakes and and I hope my team understands. I admit when they're wrong and say, Hey, this wasn't the right mistake. And here's what we're going to do. But in that it was, there was no time to question it. There was no time as they started going and pulling out sheets and being like, Hey, eight out of the last nine tenths were dry. 
You know, my team was trying to tell me, hey, like, maybe this isn't the right thing. And I was like, nope, we can't. Because if the next five are wet, that's unacceptable. And, and we don't have time. Uh, we don't have time to get everyone in hotel room time to have the same experience. I know if we stay focused on this, we can deliver it. And by the time people arrive, we'll have a wonderful experience. But if we start second guessing ourselves, mm-hmm. it's going to lead to a really Especially situation. when you're leading people. And again, you know, I'm, I'm weaving this back into dentistry, but you know, I've seen people who him and haul on decisions and they want to wait till it's either super safe or they have adoption from the people that they're leading. Right. And then by then it's kind of moot because something's been created in their absence of making the decision, whether it's good or bad. And, but I, but, you know, I've always been, you know, unfortunately a little impulsive in making decisions and, and to my detriment, right? Like I, I was like, this is what we're doing. And I, like you said, I've been, you know, you said you've been wrong many times. I've been wrong more than I probably want to account for, but there's also been wins in that. Sure. Right. And I think, but I think people, I think that, that really, like you said, your team didn't question it. They really got behind you when you said, this is what we're doing. And, and the speed is important too, because it's, I'm not saying that you shouldn't think about big decisions and sleep on them and take counsel. No doubt, for sure, right? But in decisions like that, it saves energy. Mm-hmm. You don't realize how mentally draining it is and then how physically draining it is to have this decision. You keep going back and forth or you can't decide. There was such a freedom of saying, this is what we're doing. And now let's come up with the next seven things that need to happen. Mm-hmm. And now we can move forward. Rather than sitting back and continuing to question things, there was a, there was a freedom that, that I had of saying, okay, now I know what I need to hold each person accountable for, and I know what our new plan is, and there's no looking back on it. And, and it worked out really well. It's our best event today. So it's, it's funny. We have a mutual friend, uh, Hank, and you and I do. I'm not yeah, talking sure. about <laughs> But he and I have been talking a lot about um, something that I, you know, I told him. I'm like, look, you know why Mark Zuckerberg and and Jeff Bezos, like they pretty much wear the same thing every day. They know exactly where their food is coming from. Like they don't have they any don't have like decision fatigue. De- decision fatigue, right? And so there's a there's a limited bandwidth of the number of you know of decisions you make, and especially as your business gets more complex or you're leading more people, more is coming at you. By the time you've answered, let's just call it a hundred, you know, you've made a hundred decisions for the day, you're kind of tapped out. So the more that you can take that that those those pointless decisions off right. of your table, or instead of kind of just sitting around and deliberating about a decision that you kind of have all the full due diligence on, you're just not choosing to make that decision. Get it off of your plate, make the decision, and cut, and then and then move forward. But so anyway, Hank and I have recently been talking about that decision fatigue because he's been so he's got such clarity with what he's doing right now and it's just nice and i said maybe because you've eliminated some right. decisions out of your right. life which he has he, yeah. he's got a personal assistant and all these things that i've been like pushing him to do right anyway um that was cool you you talk a little bit about you know i, I did my my research in this yeah i an experienced podcast that's right that's right not a video podcast that's right but you talk a little about about something that I really liked seeing, and it was kind of being selfish. And, and and before we hit record, you were saying how that was maybe a lesson from Jesse. But I think again, as as being individuals that a lot of people depend on, your family depends on you, your employees depend on you. The same with me. Being being, you know, I always tell my wife, I'm like, look, if I go down, you know, there's a lot of things that happen. You right. know, the, the family life changes, death, death, you know, detrimentally. 
you know, there's a lot of employees that count on me to make the right visionary decisions and, and day-to-day things. So, so if I go haywire, there's there's reverberations sure. throughout families, you know, my employees' right. families and their families and their kids and all these things. So you talk about being selfish and kind of like, and I think this is important for Dennis, and I really want to talk about this because because it's it's it, the business of dentistry is super draining. We're we're on a schedule. We're on a very tight schedule. We're dealing in a mouth that's wet, but in the, the, that's yeah. right. It's small. The the success and failure is is uh, plus or minus. You know, let's call it a, a tenth of a millimeter or, or whatever. You know, putting a, putting a crown on a tooth. Let's just say right. Um, and and then we're dealing with tight schedules and running a business and and managing people. All the while, people may show up late, right? So my point is, is we get drained all day long, right? In, in our industry, like probably all all industry, but I'm playing into dentistry, right? Of course, yeah. So I like when you actually. I remember I remember talking to one of my mentors who was he didn't really know he was a mentor at the time, but I was in dental school at the time, and I remember just being having a, 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 a just a what's it called a magus man crush on this guy, just watching him out and being a big time dentist, and I was in dental school. I said, "What are your big secrets to success?" And I never forget, he wrote me five things. And, and the first, and this, actually the third one, his name is Tom Trinker. He's over in, in, uh, in South Carolina. And he said, make dentistry is going to be hard. Take care of you, your mind, and your body. Because without that, everything else around you will suffer. And, um, and I think the more and more we do dentistry, it's physically taxing, it's mentally taxing. So I want you to talk, I know I just kind of went on a no, thing. No, great. But... I want you to talk about, you know, there's certain times you need to be selfless in your life and certain times you need to be selfish and kind of when, when do we evaluate? Yeah. So I would weave it into the thing that I feel like most business owners, professionals are struggling with is balance, Mm -hmm. right? We're either all in on work. Mm -hmm. uh, We all in on something else and, and it's tough to find that harmony where everything's in sync. And then I don't want to say I've given up on it, but what I've figured works for me and works best for my family is that there are going to be times where you need to be all in on your practice or opening a second practice or a partnership or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And you need to go all in on that. And you need to tell those in the world around you that, hey, the next couple of weeks, the next couple of months, this is what I need to do and why it comes to communication. And that's doing something for your employees, for uh, your partners, all that type of stuff. But when it's business, it may not always be doing something for you. Mm-hmm. And for me, what's what's been important to, to have is a big goal out there that's not related to business. Mm-hmm. And, and mine have been physical in the last mm-hmm. couple of years. And it's something so big on your calendar that it scares you mm-hmm. that it'll shape kind of your journey over the next year. But that selfishly, you're going to walk away and be really proud of your accomplishment. So for you to be 29 and 29 next year. And that may change how you eat. It may mean you get a couple more hours of sleep at night. It may mean you drink a little bit less. I mean, tequila's clean, so that's fine. I'm not going to say you can't have that. Uh, and we're going to talk that. about the tequila. Uh, it has, we have oranges and cinnamon here. Yeah, there's a special meaning to it. It's, special. It, it's important, I think, to do something where you're the sole beneficiary. And it's not about other people. And so for me, it's when I cross a finish line... It's, it's about my journey, but then it's about the journey of all those who supported me. So I've been selfish in that, but a lot of people have given to that. So I want to make sure that I give gratitude for my wife and my kids and my parents and those that have supported me and then swing the pendulum back to them and say, hey, look, I've been selfish for a bit, 
But the one thing I don't want to have late in life, and I got this from Jesse, is resentment. I don't want to look back and say, well, I was trying to provide for the family and I was trying to make sure that these employees got what they needed and my business partner wanted to grow the business, so we did this. But I didn't do things for myself. I never took that, that trip to Croatia. I never, I never you know, hiked that mountain or I never ran that marathon. And I think it's important to find out and carve out time for yourself. It doesn't have to be that huge goal. It doesn't have to be a 29 on 29 or a 100 mile run. But you know, maybe you want to read more. Maybe you want to learn how to play the guitar. Maybe you, you want to learn how to play chess. And, and some, those are some of my goals. I want to learn how to play the guitar. And my youngest is really damn good at chess. And I haven't learned it. So I want to learn how to play chess. And those are my goals for next year of carving out time for myself that it's time with my son, but I'm going to learn a skill out of it. And those types of things may mean that I'm not in the office as much. It may mean that it's uh, when you're training for something big, maybe there were date nights that my wife and I didn't have. Yeah. Um, and, and so you do those things, but then you can't continue to be selfish. Like when I learned that skill of playing chess or the guitar, right? I need to then find something to do with the family. And, and my point is just finding something that you're going to get growth and fulfillment out of that's for you, but then to make sure that you're that supporting and caring person on the other side that lets your spouse or your business partner or your kids find find their way to do that too. You can't constantly do that. Uh, I, uh, I really love that you're saying this because I think most of my adult life, I've struggled with adopting someone's narrative of, oh, get a balanced life. And I never could do that. Yeah. And finally, I kind of adopted like there's 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 no such thing as a balanced life all the time because it gets out of whack. Like you're sure. saying, sometimes you're all in, right? And I I think if I had been done a better job of communicating the vision of what I'm trying to do, the big rocks I'm trying to move in my life, it would have been a lot less friction in my life, whether it was from girlfriends or now spouse or children, right? If you kind of communicate like this is what I'm working on right now, and then I'm going to be done with that, right? Right. And then I'm going to swing that pendulum back to you. Right? I think people are okay with that, but I don't think there's there's so much of a thing as there's a balanced life that you don't go through that like hmm, homeostasis, which is a kind of a medical term for everything. And not a good talk, but like I don't know if that would be that intriguing or exciting. Totally. Like the, the, but it's the, talked about so much, the, like balance, balance, find balance, and you balance to me shit. sounds boring. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, it you know it, it's fun to take on those risks. It's fun to be scared of something. It's fun to learn something new. And, and like I said, I think you have to make sure that you get enjoyment and fulfillment from supporting the others in your life to allow them to do those things too. It can't all be about you, but it's those times where. But selfish know, is such a has such a negative yeah, connotation. Negative, and I don't think this should have a negative connotation. At okay, all, because people in your life should benefit from the growth that you have and, and the recharging. Growth. Like sure. I'm at the heart of it, an introvert, right? And, yeah. and so there's extroverts. My wife is a complete extrovert. Gets charged up by being around people, right? I physically get drained by being around people. The only way that I can get back up to my battery being is by alone in solitude. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, just knowing that and being self-aware and, and take and knowing that I, I have to kind of take care of my body or else I will kind of self-destruct. Right. Um, has been a has been a good life hack for me. But being okay with being like, I'm gonna be selfish right now yeah. because I'm usually selfless. Right. And so it's okay to say that word and not be taboo. Like I'm I'm being selfish right now. It is and the area that I struggle the most with is communicating it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's, it's very it's very easy to <laughs> kind of talk about on a podcast and it's much harder to walk upstairs and tell my wife right. like hey so the next two weeks is going to be about me <laughs> yeah I, I don't do that that well it's more hindsight of like oh this is accomplished and now I'm going to focus on you it's like well thanks for telling me you know, yeah. after the fact and I think I could be more proactive and not as reactive uh-huh. about it but it does have a negative connotation I think in this sense it shouldn't because 
you should be living a life without regret. And, and I don't think your wife or your partners or your employees want you to be regretful about things. So it's important that you carve out this. this it's funny that you, you talk about the, the regret a lot. And I think that's a lot of Jesse's thesis is, is like yeah. living without regret. And, I, you know, I have conversations with some of my friends and even Craig about like, you know, I will quantify things that I'm going to spend some maybe too much money on or too much time on. Will what will what will my 80 year old self think about what I just did? Yeah. And if I'm ashamed about it, like that was stupid, don't yeah. do it, right? But like, if I look back, I'm gonna be like, that was awesome. Yeah, yes, it cost was too much yeah, money yeah. or it was too much time. Like, yeah. I'm doing shit for my 80 year old yeah. self. It's yeah. looking back and being like, that was yeah, pretty that cool, was yeah, you know. And so I, you put things in like that 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 blender of like, what's the what's the 80 year old self test? And I think sometimes I've, I've said yes to some cool stuff that I typically would have said. Oh, that doesn't that doesn't make sense on paper, right? Right. Too much money, it's too much time, it's too much do whatever. And I would have missed out on right. on life resume building shit, even though I've never done the building your life resume. That's right. I don't think you need it. <laughs> I don't think you need it if, if you're taking that approach. Well not to sell against myself, but it's uh, <laughs> the uh, the one other thing that I want to kind of touch on, I think this is this is great and you know, you are surrounded with a lot of powerful people. You know, your, your network is, you know, you get access to people who have, who have done big things with their life. Um, and when I listen to podcasts about the same thing, about hearing people, that do, it seems like a central theme. And it's almost cliche because I hear it so much now is the gratitude that you have in life and, and being, really being aware of that gratitude. And, you, you know, I was kind of in my you know, my copious research more right. looking at some of the stories where you're literally talking about, you know, the physicalness and you being, instead of being, well, I want you to hear, I'm going to, I'm going to read something. So it was when you were in a situation where you were kind of challenging yourself and you said, you said, I'm, look, I'm healthy enough to be out here. I don't have to push through this stretch. I get to push through this stretch. Right. It's going to get better. I'm going to get better. I can do this. And then you wrote, instantly I was consumed with gratitude. I was only three-fourths of the way done, and I already felt different. Right? So tell me how, how like, the practice of gratitude, and, you know, and I literally try and make myself do it every morning and, and think of three three things that I'm grateful for. Small, big, whatever, right? Right. Um, and sometimes it's just simple. It's like, I'm really glad I've got two opposable thumbs, right? Yeah. Not everyone does. And, you know, and I'm breathing this in and out. If I can't think of shit. And I try and be very conscientious of that, but you've had a little bit more context in the fact that like you've been in situations where you've done amazing shit and you've been like, you've been, but you haven't forgotten to be grateful for the position you're in as painful as it may have been. It's something I constantly work on. So I don't want to say I have it figured out, but um, I told you that I wanted to delay to do this podcast for a few weeks because a little over five weeks ago, Jesse, I'm playing out in the backyard with my kids and I come inside, it's a Sunday morning. And, and we talk a lot and we're friends and there's mm-hmm. really not business things that, that arise on the weekend. And there was a two, couple missed phone calls, a text from him, and then it says, check your email. And so I checked, man, why don't we just haul back into the gratitude? And I looked in the email and he'd registered for me for a 100 mile run, the Hennepin 100. And well, what's it called? The Hennepin 100, it's, it's in yeah. Illinois. Uh-huh. So it's a 100 mile run and it happens to be one of the flattest in the country. It's run through Western Illinois and there's nothing but it's a beautiful country if anyone lives there, but it's basically just cornfields. We ran next for to a hundred miles for a hundred miles. And you know, the, the, the year before I circled my calendar to this huge event called the Leadville 100, which is in the Colorado Rockies at 10,000 feet of altitude. And you're climbing 20,000 vertical feet over hundred miles. It was something the whole year had been centered around. 
And then Jesse just registered me this race. I was like, hey, you know, he'd run a race a couple weeks before that. I paced him in. He's like, I, I'm, I may never be back in this physical shape again uh, at, at 51. And I want to knock out 100. And would you do it with me? And I had this feeling of like, well, no, I don't want to. Like, it hasn't been on my calendar. It's not I've been fair. running, but no. like, you know, I don't want to. And then I had this, this feeling of FOMO. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, he's going to go and do this. And someone else is going to do it with him. And you know, our partnership's strong, but like, it would just be fun as friends doing this again. I don't want to miss out on it. And then I started thinking about, well, like, well, I'm grateful that someone is in my life, like Jesse, mm-hmm. who thinks of me of like, well, maybe Mark's mentally strong enough to take on this challenge. Mark's probably physically ready enough to take on this challenge. Uh, I'm grateful that my wife was like, well, if you want to do it, you can just like, don't kill yourself. Right. And so I started thinking about all the good things that were around mm-hmm. this scenario. And I was like, well, I should do this. And then I did it, and there were points where I was doing it where I didn't have that year-long drive of training, of thinking about the race. And so during the race, it wasn't like the finish line was this thing that I've been dreaming about for a year. My wife wasn't there, my kids weren't there, my parents weren't there, and they've been there for all my big races and big things. And as I was going through it, we were running with this Navy SEAL named, uh, former Navy SEAL named Chad Wright. And Chad's become an ultramarathoner, very competitive, and uh, Jesse had asked him to join us as well. And Chad kept talking about how, how outstanding of a day we're having and how happy he was. And I thought it was bullshit. And I was like, Chad, like for four hours, you've been going on and on about how happy you are and how great this is and everything. And it's raining on us and it's 50 degrees. We've run it, been running for 60 miles. We're running I, cornfield. Yeah. Like there's nothing to see. Yeah. Um, are, are you really that happy? And he was like, well, I, I ran a hundred miles the weekend before and he came in second in the race. Chad did, not me. Right. And your body typically needs somewhere between 45 and 60 days to recover from 100 miles. It's like, cool. And he's got a very southern accent. He's like, well, when Jesse reached out to me, I was like, brother, how can I say no? Like, we're going to go get to live life and people are going to be sitting on their couches and they're going to be. And he was truly grateful for the opportunity to be there. And he wasn't going to allow himself to have one negative thought. And so what we did was we went through a period where once an hour you had to say what you were grateful for. And in this hour, I'm grateful for this. And this hour, I'm grateful for this. And. You know, I'm a little ashamed to say that that stopped like that was his practice. That was his practice. But every every hour, we're going to say something that we're grateful for. We're going to say it out loud, Mm. and it was really powerful. And you know, I've had these moments before in races. I felt bad, and I thought, well, I'm healthy enough to do this and that. And even though I knew that, it was hard in the situation to pull back on that. And so you have to surround yourself with good people. You have to surround yourself with people that uh, will challenge you, that will hold you accountable but will also be a very positive inspiration for you and, and, and coach you. And, and that's what Chad did in that moment. He didn't even know he was doing it, but by his example of talking about how grateful he was and talking about how happy he was, you can trick your mind into anything. Oh, it's so yeah. he was absolutely probably dying in terms of how his body felt, but he went through the day with a smile. I think 13 years of being a Navy SEAL probably hardened his mind to be able to do that. But for me, I, I, I became grateful for Chad, and then I became grateful for Jesse, and then I became grateful for all these other things. And for a couple of hours, it was easy because I wasn't thinking about all the negatives. And I wish I could bring that to my day-to-day more, but it, it's certainly there. And, and I always say at 29 or 29, when people look in, in, in bad place, I'll say smile. And like they look at me like, they want to kill me. I'm like, no, seriously, like smile. And if you actually force yourself when you're in a bad place to smile – it changes everything. They've done all these studies about it. I can tell you books and all that and the endorphins, but 
it's that type of thing of just being grateful to just have someone who cares mm-hmm. is just enough to change your perspective on a real bad situation. It's funny that you uh, you talk about you know being great, even though you're in a pain point, right? Being grateful. I'm grateful to be here, and Chad's you know Chad's saying other people are sitting on their couch and we're running. Right. It's painful, it may suck, and it's cold, right? And I think there's so much, I think one thing that I've learned, and, and I'll tie this into dentistry, is that that nothing, I don't think anything happens by mistake, and sometimes uh, there's silver lining in all things that happen. And I'll give you, so in 2015, I was embezzled from um, a tremendous amount of money, almost half a million dollars. Um, Partnership was breaking up because of that. And I had to take my life savings, wipe it out. My son and, and people who listen to the podcast know the story, but like I was done. I wanted to quit, hit a dentistry, right? And I, it was easy for me to play the woe is me card, right? And I was done. I went literally, I would wake up every morning and say, I quit. And I was like, God dang, just do today. You can quit. Yeah. You can quit at the end of the day if you want, but do one more day. And I literally would cry at the end of my bed because I just, it was too much. Yeah. Um, you know, like some was born premature. I was in the hospital all the time. Like just a lot going on. Uh, marriage was probably not not the hot hottest, but you know, so I it was easy for me to play the the I'm the victim, woe is me card, and I'm almost going to quit dentistry. But I couldn't because I had a lot of going back to a lot of people depending on them, right. So, um, but I look back at that, right. Even though even though I, so I'm getting in context of telling that I was playing the wrong messages. And how what the difference is in the dichotomy of the right messages and how transformative it is. But looking back on that, it was some of the it was some of the greatest things that happened in my life. So at the time I'm going through it, horrible, I'm playing well as me. Right. And looking back, none of the things that would have happened in my life now wouldn't have happened if it hadn't sure. been for this pain that I had experienced back in the woe is me phase. Yeah. Right? Um and I don't know if it would have been, I don't know if it had been changed if I had been like, oh, this is so great. It's happening because I didn't have the foresight to think like how this could be a great thing. You know, embezzlement and, and partnership breakup would be a great thing for my career and my life. But I don't know. I think sometimes it's nice just to read. I guess what I'm saying is wherever you are, whatever position you are, it's nice to audit where you're, what you're feeling, recalibrate it, maybe feel thankful for it, maybe acknowledge that you're being a, you know, a victim or not and just be cognizant of what your mind is saying to you, right? Because they, they think it, that psychology can help you climb that mountain or get through that day. Um, and it's, and, and, and that's physically or in our lives or whatever, you know, or maybe it's even our relationships even, uh, like you're saying, just kind of keep leaning in and auditing where you are feeling how you're feeling. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And, and look, I didn't go through something near that bad, but having a business that failed, I felt like each day was just worse than the day before. And I wasn't practicing the things that were great. Like, my wife couldn't have been more supportive. Mm-hmm. My kids were still happy to see me every day when I came home. Like I had so many good things going right. on. And it was like, I only focused on the one really negative, which by the way, like that's a big deal. Yeah. You getting embezzled from losing your life savings, that's a huge deal. And and you probably shouldn't feel great about that. And something would be wrong with you if every day you were walking around with a smile. And no, yeah. And I was definitely not. And, and you're right. And, and so it is hard to think about, but it also is, is one of those things where you realize the fact you kept going to your practice. I guess what I'm trying to say from that, I learned that now other little bad things have happened. Sure. Right. Small, but I've been okay to say like, trust the process because remember what happened when you were playing the woe is me card and do that. And this too will pass. And it may be a little blessing. You just don't know. So put on a happy face and just keep going and trust that there's someone taking care of it. The the thing that I like the most is you just stayed in the game. Mm-hmm. Right. You just, you found a way to keep going to the practice Barely. every day, but, Barely. but that's, 
that, that may not be being grateful for everything. We're in a really shitty situation, but you didn't quit. Yeah. And, and, and again, I think if you're able to just to keep pushing forward, that, that to me is, is a really important part. And I always like to balance that for entrepreneurs is that doesn't mean to continue to pursue an idea that's bad and there's a product market fit, <laughs> right? You know, like idea. you got to be able to make a decision on like, Hey, this isn't working. Uh, but if it's, if it's just something where you feel like you're going through a hard time, uh, as you said, this too shall pass. And, and that, that's what ultra direct support has just told me the high, as I said before, the highest of highs won't last forever. Neither will the lowest of lows. And so you just have to just keep moving, keep going. And, and you'll eventually find yourself in a better position if you're in a really bad spot. I love it. I love it. All right, so now we're coming to the end. We're going to talk about the tequila. Okay. Is that a good yeah. place to wrap? Is that a good segue? Yeah, in? It's, it's a great place. I think so we just want to make sure we give credit where it's due. To, All right, so I want to tell you why. So I insisted that, that Mark bring this out because he exposed us to, uh, again, our, our mastermind retreat up in Newport recently. He's like, guys, we have to do this. And I am not a tequila fan. Yeah. Um, I mean, a, probably good, really good tequila like that looks like it is. Um, but when you started kind of making this concoction of, uh, oranges and stuff, I thought this, this is going to be horrible. So, <laughs> but I want you to give what you talk about, give your credit where it's great. Cause this is a good, this yeah. is a good, uh, right. Like everyone needs, I remember going home and being like, I got a cool new, like, yeah. I'm not party trick, but like a cool, like social trick. Cause I don't have that many of them. Yeah. Like, you know, I could be the star of the show somewhere. So now, right. now you're carrying this on to all my listenership. Yeah, so I uh, had, had done a, a vacation with another family. My buddy Ray Hicks, awesome guy, uh, had brought a bottle of 1942 Don Julio. I uh, sent it to my dress, I'll give you <laughs> for the shout out. Um, so I'm not a big tequila drinker. I knew he was. I brought him a bottle as a gift. He brought me a bottle as a gift, funny enough. And so I went to, you know, like pour tequila on the rocks or something. And he's like, no, 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 no. Oranges and cinnamon. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, we need oranges and cinnamon. And I was like, for the tequila and he's like yeah so he cuts up all these oranges and he carefully puts cinnamon coating the oranges so if, if you are not watching you have to make sure you do orange slices like you're a soccer mom like you're actually eating an orange slice not like a garnish at the bar you need a proper a soccer orange, mom soccer mom quarter of it yeah. quarter quarter so you get a real bite of orange and then you coat it in cinnamon and you get yourself some Don Julio 1942. Do not cut corners and get another tequila. It will not taste good at all. You want 1942 and you drink it neat. And then you bite the orange and eat the orange. And there's some type of combination between the aging of the tequila, the vanilla flavors within the orange and the cinnamon. And it just, it just really works. It literally, I, really I works. remember being kind of, again, going negative Nancy about like, oh, I'm yeah. going to take a shot on this. Like, you know, yeah. And it, like exploding the flavors in my mouth, and I'm like, oh my god, I never experienced that. Yeah, and and then you'll notice there's four of these because it's just not right to have one. You're like, I have to go back and, and have this feeling. Let me do it again. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You're grateful for the first one, so you want to make sure you get the second one. So, so sounds like the beginning of everyone you ever tried crack. Like that was pretty good. I'm gonna try that again. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> this isn't as addictive, I don't think. Not that I've tried crack, but from what I've heard. Um. So. Uh, so let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks for having me on. Cheers, buddy. Learned a lot. That is crazy. That is crazy. Truly good. So everybody, 
Probably the first podcast in history that's ever done this. Yeah, maybe. Filmed. That's right. And you saw it on the Bulletproof Dental Practice podcast. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Bulletproof Dental Practice podcast. If you've got any value or insight from today's episode, we ask for your help. First, review us on iTunes. It creates awareness to help others find us, and it literally takes like five seconds. Second, if you want to stay in touch with announcements and updates, text the words Bulletproof, all one word, to 345345. We promise not to bombard you with spam text. Also, don't forget to check out our upcoming summit, 2020 registration page at bulletproofsummit.com. We're going to be focusing on digital marketing, including social media. Do not miss this one for real. Thanks y'all.